This is the Foundation Station with Bishop Clarence Harris, where we discuss apologetics without apology. The purpose of the sevenfold ministry on the theocratic rule of a sovereign God, Jesus Christ, who was God manifested in the flesh, is as clearly stated or explicitly declared in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. As we talk about the fivefold ministry there, the fivefold ministry refers to the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That's the hand of God. The sevenfold ministry would include the bishops and the deacons. That's the perfect government of God. For the five plus the two equals seven, and seven represent perfection in the hands of God and in the ways of God. So what was their purpose? Why did God have the sevenfold ministry? Well, one of the reasons why we're told in Ephesians chapter four, verse 12, for the perfection of the saints for the training up in ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ. We're told in verse 13, to all come together into the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that every Christian should come to the unity of the faith, that every Christian to come to the knowledge of the Son of God, and that every Christian by the power of the Holy Ghost, shall come to maturity unto a perfect man in Christ, that we may grow up in him to come into the fullness of the stature, to be as he is, as we are told in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, as he is, so are we to be in this life. However, this have been torpedoed by hundreds of years of Eurocentric anti-Semitism, which means racism against Jews by Western culture, Western paganism that has infiltrated the church and substitution, religious substitution, replacing the order that God had established with European denominational Roman Catholic pagan practices and also divisive measures by men grievous wolves coming into the church to devour the flock, as Paul warned against in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 28. And you see, what we have is that the Western world being a carnal, natural church, not understanding that the Roman Catholic Church did the spiritual coup d'etat, attempted at least, to overthrow the power of God and the one and only theocratic God of heaven by bringing in substitution, bringing a papal system of the Pope claiming to be the head of the church. And to this day, 1.2 billion people followed that order to their own demise. Their unbelief and rejection of biblical authority and biblical commandments given by the Jewish apostles have led them destitute and also destined for eternal damnation. For it is quite apparent that in the Bible, in order to operate in the offices one must be supernaturally endowed. For there are nine spiritual gifts that are listed in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. And these spiritual gifts are broken down into three categories. In each category, there are three. The utterance gifts, 
which would include the gifts of prophecy, the gift of tongues, and the gift of interpretation of tongues. These are the utterance gifts. They say something. The revelation gifts include the gift of the word of knowledge, the gift of the word of wisdom, and the gift of discerning of spirits. They reveal something. The power gifts. The power gifts include the gifts of healing, the gifts of working of miracles, and the gift of faith. These said same nine gifts of the spirit work together to empower an individual to walk in the sevenfold ministry. Their offices are supernatural, divinely appointed, and called by God. The gateway to get into the gifts, the gateway to get into Christ by the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in unknown tongues or unlearned tongues by the speaker. This supernatural empowerment was done first in 31 AD upon the Jewish apostles and prophets, in particular, even Jesus' own mother, Mary, and his brother, James and Jude, were there in the upper room to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, for they're listed in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. So, being endued with power from the high, Jesus told them to go to Jerusalem to wait until they receive his anointing, that the Holy Ghost will overcome upon them and out of their belly, as he spoken earlier to the woman at the well, out of their belly shall flow rivers of living water. And so, the sevenfold ministry. Number one, the apostles. What are the qualifications for one to be an apostle? Number one, they must walk in the revelatory gifts. Number two, they must walk in the power gifts. Number three, they must walk in the utterance gifts. In essence, the sevenfold ministry of the apostle, they actually walk in all six other gifts as well as their own. Paul was the best example of that because that capsulized his ministry. Some say that one must be an apostle if they have seen Jesus or walked with Jesus. But we know that Paul and Barnabas never walked with Jesus in the flesh. And they never saw Jesus in the flesh. But Paul was the apostle of the Gentiles. And he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. So that European theory is totally incorrect. Barnabas and Paul was from the key leaders of the first century church. While we're told that Peter was the apostle to, of course, the Jews. With this said, apostles are foundation layers. They lay the foundation in doctrine. They take what the prophets have wrote and they interpret as Paul did in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10 through 14. He talks about how he was taught by revelation of Jesus Christ. And he went further and instructed the other apostles, even that before him, because he was a master of the law, both he and his father were both a Pharisee. Apostles are foundation layers. They set things in the order in the church. They also come and lay the foundation and build up on that, appointing leaders, anointing them. They, are, they function as an evangelist on the vanguard to go into the enemy's camp and then take the captives and set them free. They also function in the role of a prophet, oftentimes prophesying and receiving prophetic words or the dreams or visions from the Lord. They're also the master teachers. They're a teacher. Why? Because they reveal the deep things of the Spirit of God, which is also the qualification for a teacher. And that's found, of course, in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 27. They are also, they are bishops, 
because they train the elders and as mature ones, they not only train leaders in the church, they also appoint and father them. For there are many teachers, but there are not many fathers in the faith. Apostles are fathers who lead by example. And they themselves, however, walk in the anointing of Christ to dispense these other anointings to those whom they come in contact with to lay the foundation for the body of Christ. And if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, you see that both Barnabas and Paul also function as deacons. Deacons because they met the needs of the saints, collected funds, and look at the distribution of the funds and the need based on the necessity of the saints in situations of hardship and poverty and war and famine there in the Roman world during their day. So this was the role of an apostle. The apostles can, and by Paul's example, function in all the gifts, in all the offices, could be a true foundation layers. Prophets, on the other hand, they are the eyes, the ears, and the mouthpiece of God. They hear, they see, and they speak what God has said. They walk in the revelatory gifts. They walk in the power gifts. They walk in the gifts of prophecy, including dreams and visions with the interpretation thereof. So they are the eyes for the body. The European world reject these two offices because their church structure, their denominations are not built up on the supernatural. You see, they build churches, but Christ is not a church only. He, he, he has a kingdom. The kingdom is eternal, but the church is temporary. When Christ comes back, there'll be no need for the church. Because when we take his bride up, he is the bride and he's also the groom. He's all in all and had the preeminence in all things as it says in Colossians 1.18. He's the first of everything in essence. So what we have is the prophets and the apostles most churches deny they exist today, but now others have ran and made everyone an apostle, it seemed like, and everyone's a prophet. But I warn anyone who takes on the office that if you make yourself up any position, God will judge you by that position. And if he has not called you in that position, you'll be judged accordingly as a false apostle, as a false prophet. You did your own will, but not his. Consequently, your salvation will not only be in jeopardy, is assured that you will be probably in deep water, probably assured mutual damnation and destruction. Because you never did his will. He spoke about those in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, when he said, Lord, um, some will say to him that day, Lord, have not I prophesied in your name? Lord, have not cast out devils in your name? Lord, have not I done many great signs and wonders in your name and miracles? He will say unto them, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. For the only will that we should be doing is the Lord's will for our life. God does not need us to do him any favors. So the apostles and prophets have never ceased. They still exist today. Just the church world and denominations and the traditions of men reject the teachings, the doctrines, because they're not of their religious fraternity, their religious order. Teachers. Teachers are also walk in the revelatory gifts, in the revelatory prophetic gifts, meaning like the apostle, what their job is to go, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 
Verse 7, and drop the bucket down into the well of living water and bring out the deep things of the Spirit of God. That's your job. To keep the church pure with sound doctrine. That's your job. The teacher and, of course, the apostle. They are the foundation layers, the primary ones for the church. One can have more than one office, of course, but however, the teacher and the apostle are the ones who are the chief founders, foundation layers for the church of Jesus Christ. They also can walk in the utterance gifts and prophesy, so on and so forth. But their primary role is to keep the church pure and in sound doctrine, not from the philosophies of men, not from what they learn through a divinity degree, not from a PhD, not from anything along that lines, but rather like the apostles in Acts chapter 4, they sat in Jesus' seat as far as to listen to what he had to say. They sat there and learned, and they learned from the mouth of the Lord himself, and they followed him, the Lamb, wherever he would lead them. So what we have is that these individuals, they learn from lip to lip, mouth to mouth from God, and they speak the truth from the spirit of truth. Because it is in God possible for God to lie, so if there's a denomination, a doctrine of conflict, the teacher's job is to make sure that they root up all evil and doctrines of devils and contend for the truth. If you go and look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, 28, the Bible gives the order of ranking in the church. He said, first apostles, all right? Then he says, prophets and third teachers. By teachers third, because the apostle and the teacher sandwiches in the prophet. Because the prophet may be the eyes, the ears, and the mouth of God, but it does not mean they understand. But we know now that God worked with them together to complement one another for the edification of the body and for its maturity. The evangelists, they walk in the power gifts of the Lord. The power gifts, in other words, the working of miracles, the power gifts. That means they also not only work in miracles, but they deal with the gifts of healing and the gifts of faith, with supernatural things. Why? Because they are the foot soldiers. They go on the battlefield like the apostle does and take new territory. Like the evangelist by the name of Philip in Acts chapter 8 went into Samaria and took the whole city. And then Peter and John came down and laid hands on them after Philip had baptized pretty much the whole city. Peter and John laid hands on them and they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the city. That's an evangelist. The evangelist's work is outhouse. It's not coming to the churches preaching the gospel. The work of evangelists is to go outhouse ministry to bring the captives from who were once captured rather by the devil liberate them and bring them into the body of Christ so they can learn how to remain free at the hands and the feet of the pastors. For the pastors, of course, their role, they're like, I guess, traffic directors in the body of Christ, teaching and working with the other four that we just covered, the apostles, the prophet, and the teacher, and the evangelist. The pastor, his job is to keep the body ministry flowing, keep the gifts flowing, encouraging people by faith to move in the spirit of God so that we can have all nine gifts working in the congregation. 
for the pastor role is more of a traffic director for body ministry. It's not supposed to be preaching. And then, you know, you have a, a open message for a call. People come to Christ. That's all European invention. In the first century church, they brought people already into the church, baptized the Holy Ghost and baptized in water. They brought them to house church. They didn't meet in huge buildings. They had no pulpits. These things are all Eurocentric, European. And the church world today will have to go back to its foundation and back to the roots real soon. So we've looked at the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, the evangelist, and the pastor thus far. Let me go ahead and just touch on right now on the bishop. The bishop, of course, must be, um, well, number one, in 1 Timothy 3, 1, it says that if a man desires the office of a bishop. So the office of a bishop and a deacon is appointed by men and one by calling. But these individuals already have the maturity, have the stature, and the confidence of the body to stand in these positions. In fact, we know that Philip, the evangelist, was also a deacon. He was chosen in Acts chapter 6 to be a deacon. He was in Acts chapter 8. Took the whole city of Samaria by the power of the Holy Ghost. And then in Acts chapter 21, he's there with his daughters, four of his daughters that prophesied. He was the evangelist and a deacon. But a bishop, a bishop, the Bible says, he must be a, uh, a man, all right? A bishop, as it says in 1 Timothy 3, 2, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. Today, there are many women bishops, many women pastors, and again, none of these, you cannot find an example anywhere in the New Testament or the Old Testament of women standing in such positions. We'll look at this later. We're going to look at the role of women in the church in our next episode. But you will understand how culture and tradition and many things have changed to disqualify people, not only from positions, but also even from their salvation by putting themselves in places that God has not called them to be in. For the bishop, we're told in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 goes on to say, the husband of one wife, husband, can't be, uh, God does not endure same-sex marriages. The husband means specifically a man, not a woman. A wife is referred to as a wife, but the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, a good behavior, given the hospitality and apt to teach. Now, when Paul, at the end of his ministry, began to expound upon the offices of the bishop and the deacon, they had been there since the foundation of the church. But it had never been exemplified or written in this manner, as you see in Timothy and Titus. And so this is the bishop and the deacon are the one that most explicitly stated, almost like a job description, and also it reveals exactly what their criteria are. He says in verse 3, 1 Timothy 3, 3, not given to wine, no striker, not given to greedy, filth of the cure, but patient, not a brawler. And covetous, and one that ruled well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? All right. And so a man, it says again, his own house. He says, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation of the devil. What's a novice? A novice is a, a newbie. It's a baby Christian. It's someone inexperienced. Verse 7, moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, that mean amongst the heathen, 
in the community, lest he fall in the reproach and snare of the devil. For a bishop, verse 7, must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to physical cure, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, in essence, the fruit of the Spirit, which is what is the assurance that one can enter into God's rest. For Peter says in First Peter, I mean Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10, it says to make your calling and election sure. And here, if you abide by these criteria, as it says in First Timothy and in Titus, in Titus 1.9, it goes on to say, beloved of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful words as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gangsters or those who are content against the faith. In other words, skilled in the word, mature man, both a bishop and a deacon. It's a, it's a man having his house in order. So every woman that puts herself in that position, position, bring damnation upon herself. We will see why that was so significant and why most people today, not understanding what God's intent and plans are, put themselves in great torment, in great confusion, as they choose not to, to honor and they choose to dishonor the word of God. So the qualification for all these offices, for the deacon, which is also what is their role, they were first selected in the book of Acts chapter 6. Men are greatly poor, resounding men. Everyone trusted. Well, their role, they were a carryover from the Old Testament Levitical priests who took care of the widows and the fathers and the afflicted and the stranger. And that's why both the bishop and the deacon is given the hospitality. Because they take the sojourners and those who are lack. It was only these individuals that also shared in the food and the substance from the priests in the Old Testament. And God brought this element into the New Testament in the same manner, creating the office of the deacon to take care of the widows and the affliction and the fatherless, which is also a vital part of the Old Testament law. And so the deacon were men. There's no such thing as a deaconess in the Bible. As men have created these positions from their own denominational structures. The only position found in the Old Testament that women fulfill was the office of the prophetess. And you'll notice, as we'll look at later, prophetess were never slain and killed and murdered or sawed in half. But the prophets were all virtually all killed. And they were not killed by the heathen, they were killed by their own people. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 39, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that stoned at the prophets. And so there's a striped difference between a prophet and a prophetess. And we'll look at that later as well. But with all these things understood, in Timothy 1.5, it says, For this call I left thee in Crete, Paul says to Timothy, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain the elders in every city as I appointed thee. This is what they did. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. These are the qualifications for the sevenfold ministry. 
These are the ones listed explicitly, even for the deacon and for the bishop. So to summarize the qualifications for an elder, he must be a male candidate. He cannot be a polygamist or novice. He must be a teacher and instructor of truth and the truth of God's words and sound doctrine. An elder cannot be a woman. However, one who is a senior woman can be considered an elder woman in the sense that they're the treat like mothers treat and teach the younger women. But in the office of the elder, which is equivalent to all of the sevenfold ministry, because each of them are considered an elder, each in particular. He must have his house in good divine order and God's order, as well as abide in the state of holiness. An elder also, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, is the steward of the mysteries of God. In other words, sound doctrine that God entrusts you with, you are to not cast your pearls among swine. So an elder, as you see, elders are called of God to do God's will. And bishops, deacons, and then the other five, the apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, and pastor. This wraps up the sevenfold ministry of God and their qualifications. I hope you meet the qualifications of God to stand before him at the day of judgment. Be counted as said, my servant, well done. But if you call yourself and you ran and God did not send you, you may be in a heap of trouble. I pray that you do the former and not the latter. Be blessed and may God bless your soul and your congregation, your family and your house where you stand. In Jesus' name. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching. We encourage you to subscribe to this podcast and automatically receive our next teaching on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or any other podcast platform. The Foundation Station with Bishop Clarence Harris is made possible by the support of listeners like you. If you'd like to bless this ministry with an offering, please do so via the Cash App by searching hashtag Foundation Station. That's dollar sign, Foundation Station. Thank you, and God bless.